This is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? Oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank that. you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we would agree on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Bergaff. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Todd and Friends Podcast, brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Greg Snow sitting in for Todd Burgett today on my favorite day of the week, Tuesday. It's not because I'm a county commissioner and we have meetings on Tuesday. I actually had the day off today, Alan, but it's because I get to talk to the voice of the Timberwolves, Alan Horton. Uh, Alan, Alan, how are you doing today? Well, that's very nice to hear, Greg. Oh. I'm glad I'm making somebody's day. Well, so, Alan... I'm going to be honest, Alan. Todd says to me, he goes, I'm not feeling well. I'm sick. He goes, besides, you love talking to Alan. I go, I do. And I, you can probably hear, I'm a little raspy. I'm a little under the weather myself. But I'm like, I'm going in. I want to talk to Alan about the last couple of games. I mean, how good is that? Yeah, I think everybody's a little bit raspy these days. It's just, uh, especially around the Timberwolves, too. It's just passing sort of illness from one person to another. And it's this slow-moving thing. And it's uh, it's just that time of the year. But it's... Um, it's uh, nice to talk after after such a big win last night. A, a great way to end the road trip. Yeah, let me let's go back a couple days. Uh, I think on Twitter or X, uh, there's kind of a falling off the ledge happening, and then OKC loses to Detroit, and everybody's <laughs> like, "Okay, we're okay at teams lose." So, Alan, ebb and flow of an NBA season. Tell me how a seasoned veteran like yourself handles those horrible losses, if you want to call them. But then you have this: what happened last night the pinnacle of a nice win. So how do you handle the ebb and flows of that, especially when you're so closely involved with the team? Yeah, I think uh, I think over time you start to handle it like the coaching staff does and like the players do. They take a they take a longer-term approach. They don't live and die by every single game because if you do, you have these unbelievable highs and these unbelievable lows. Um, you know, players are you know, players are paid to do a job, and in the end, it's a very good job, but it is still a job, and it's work that you put in, and I think fans only see really the games. They don't realize all the time and energy and effort put into the training, the practices, the sleep, the travel, eating right, all those things, and so for the players, they have to kind of take a longer-term approach and get in this routine, and by definition, you know, by routine means you're doing something over and over and over again, um, and you can't have these great highs and these great lows if you're going to make it to the end. And so it's so I'm always caught as a broadcaster, I think, between being a fan and seeing how the coaches and the players approach things, which is more long-term and not too many highs and lows. But I, I get, I'm not telling fans how to react. I'm just explaining the difference in the way some of the fans look at things. And after a loss to lowly San Antonio, they want to fire head coach Chris Finch. They want to trade everybody by the deadline and all those kind of things. Uh, but then you realize, well, you're playing the Oklahoma City Thunder the very next day. They go into Detroit and lose to the lowly Pistons. Yep. So, look, it does happen. And, and when your focus is not at 100% in this league, you get beat, even by Detroit, even by San Antonio. Um, you, you better have attention to detail and treat the game with the proper amount of respect or else you'll get disrespected by the game. It's just, it's just the way the laws of basketball work. Um, and the Wolves didn't take care of business against San Antonio, especially in the fourth quarter, just like the Thunder didn't take care of business against Detroit. Maybe they were looking ahead to this big game against the Wolves, and they've got another big game, a division game, against Denver coming up on Wednesday night. So it's, um, you know, that's, that's part of the battle of, of um, you know, not getting too high and too low and treating every game with a proper amount of respect and it, because it so quickly can change, right? Like, OKC was flying high. Then they lose to Detroit, uh, and then they lose to Minnesota. Now they've lost two in a row. 
gosh, if they get beat by Jokic on Wednesday, that's a three-game losing streak. Yep. They had a chance to win both season series against the Wolves and Denver. And guess what, Greg? It's going to come down to, to these tiebreakers at the end. That's why last night was so important in my eyes, is you get that season series at 2-2, and now you move on from that tiebreaker, but at least you don't lose it. Um, just just a really big win for a lot of reasons last night. Yeah, it's cool to hear you say that because Nas Reed put out there that it felt like a must-win, and casuals are sitting back there going, how can a must-win be in game 47 or 50 of the year? Yeah. I mean, that just can't be, but there's right. more to it, and you're right with that breakdown of the, hey, this is a tiebreaker deal. We might, you know, who knows where this is going to stretch out at the end of the season. So I, I love that perspective. Yeah, it's a little bit of hyperbole when you say must-win because obviously it's not a must-win. The season will go on whether you win or lose. But I think in terms of coming off that San Antonio loss, um, ending the road trip on, a, on the right note, getting revenge against a team that, that, that torched the Timberwolves in the fourth quarter nine nights ago, um, there were a lot of things. One, you, you know, a win and you're right back into first. And something Rudy Gobert mentioned on the postgame last night is that you know, he, he said this was a lot a, a big win for a lot of reasons, and one of them was they want to get their coaching staff to the All-Star game. Yeah. The team with the best record in the, in the conference by February 4th, um, sometimes you can lock it up before then, um, gets to go to the – they coach their Western Conference All-Star team. So Chris Finch and the staff, it's something a couple of players I've heard mention, um, that's, that's one of their goals. They want to be in first so that Chris Finch and the staff get that res- recognition of going to the All-Star game. And so – now you're one game up, and Denver's now behind you, then Oklahoma City. Denver's ineligible because their coaching staff went last year. They don't want uh, – there's a rule now, that, I guess it's the Pat Riley rule, where you can't just continually go as the coaching staff for like you know four or five, six, seven years. I'm sure for the Lakers it was probably even longer. I was going to ask you that of why, because I think I saw your tweet that said the Denver's ineligible, and I didn't know why. It was because they won the title, yeah. but it was because they went last year. That's the reasoning. They went last year, so they're ineligible. So really, you're battling with the Oklahoma City Thunder and with the and with the LA Clippers, who are not too far behind. Yeah, Clippers are a shocker to me, but um, we'll maybe get into that another day because there's so much to unpack from last night. We've seen some mental collapses, Alan, from this team. Um, I didn't get to the game until about the second half. I had a board meeting at the golf course. I'm just chomping at the bit because I'm like, I need to get home. I need to watch this game. This is big game of the year. You know, I'm just, I'm a Timberwolves Bobo. And so I, I just had to get to it. Well, I see the third quarter kind of collapse and my gut said, well, good. It's not in the fourth quarter. Did you kind of have that feeling last night? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, a 10 point lead is still a 10 point lead. And I know it can go quickly, but the Wolves played really well to begin the third. And all of a sudden, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander starts doing his thing, and next thing you know, a 10-point lead has turned into, I think it dropped to a two- or three-point deficit, something like that, and you're thinking, man, I mean, there's still time to turn things around, and yeah, I guess it's a good sign it wasn't the fourth quarter, because uh, that would bring back even more bad memories, but um, you, you, anytime the building, I mean, the build that, that place is so loud there in Oklahoma City, may not be, you know, this huge media market, but that team draws really well. They've gotten behind this club. They always have. Even during the last couple of down years, um, they, they still get good crowds in there, and they had great crowds when they first moved from Seattle when they had Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. They had James Harden there for a little while. Um, and so that place was loud. It was rocking. They had all the momentum. The Wolves couldn't do things right. They started turning the ball over, and you just thought maybe there was a tipping point there where this one could slip away quickly. Uh, but they they righted the ship, and I tell you what, down the stretch, it wasn't uh, it wasn't them faltering. It was them rising to the occasion after um, having dropped six of their last eight clutch time games, and a lot of those um, three of their last five you know games they've they've dropped double digit fourth quarter leads. So it was nice to see them execute down the stretch. 
Yeah, I thought the play of the game was that drive down the lane by Ant. It felt like that was, you know, to put us up by four, should have been, oh. been up by five. I watched your tweet again, and you kind of got excited. But I didn't hear in there, Ellen, that you thought there was a foul. Initially, I didn't see that there was a foul. I didn't think a big deal. And then Ant's going berserk, and my mind says, Ant, come on, dude. You, you got a clean dunk. <laughs> and then I watched the replay, and I'm like, whoa, he's right. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. NBA officiating is hard. Pat Freyer is a good friend of mine. I, I know it's hard. I, I We yeah. all get it, but... How does that feel? I mean, after you saw the replay, your mind probably went to, what are the free throws tonight? What's the disparity? Well, Shea shot 15 free throws. So, again, yeah. um, you know, Ant made the statement at the game, I'm going to take the end of the fine, and I don't put a lot of credence into it, but last night felt like one of those nights that maybe he was right. Well, and it was it was accumulation of the entire game, I think. It wasn't just that call and that one. You know, it's so hard to tell in real time what's a foul and what's not. I mean, just just go, go look at some highlights, and then you try to judge in real time, not knowing the outcome whether it's a foul or not. It's really hard to do. And so things these guys are so big, so fast, so strong, and things are happening quicker now than they did five years ago and quicker than they was ten years ago. Um, so it's really tell. It's really hard to tell in real time um, what's a foul, what's not. What, did the guy hit the hand or did he hit the ball? Or did he right. hit the wrist or did he hit the elbow? Um, and, and I think Ant's frustration was just a culmination of a lot of calls. He only went to the free throw line four times. Timberwolves only got there 15 times as a game. Shea got there 16 times overall. So, and there were a lot of just bumps and little stuff that Shea draws. He's one of those guys yep. who will draw that whistle. Jokic is another guy. Uh, Embiid is another guy that, you know, you, you, you don't shuffle the feet quick enough and Jaden McDaniels can't stay in front of him. A little bit of hip contact, 18 feet out all of a sudden, that's a foul. And if you're in the penalty, that's free throws. And, yep. and with guys hitting free throws, I mean, we'll see another one tomorrow night in Luka Doncic. He draws a ton of fouls, too. Um, these guys are really adept, and they make you pay because Shea shoots about 90% of the free throw line. Um, he missed one out of 16 last night. So it's, it is frustrating, but I thought that was a demoralizing dunk from the Thunder perspective. I mean, it quieted 16,000 people, um, and it kind of ripped the soul out of the Thunder for that particular game. You could tell it was over right there. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted Ant to do at the end of that Spurs game is just from the backcourt get a running start and go. Put the onus on the officials. Get down there, but I yeah. think he got kind of stuck in the play. Did he not, Ellen? I yeah, it was it was interesting. I didn't focus too much on that uh, at the end of the game. Yeah, he picked up the dribble early and then got it to Cat. Um, I, I think he was supposed to kind of keep going. I don't know what he saw to make him. Uh, maybe he was cut off and where he was supposed to go, and therefore picked up the dribble and found Cat. But um, clearly, I think there was more to that play. Um, than just getting it to Cat left wing and going one on one. Who actually got a pretty good look at that uh, at that potential game winning shot. Um, he had a kind of a drastic step back there. I think muscle memory tells you to go back behind the three point line. You yeah. three didn't need a three in that didn't situation. Like had he just stayed, have he, he, he had taken half a step back. I still think he gets the shot off, and maybe that shot goes in because he's not that far away at that point. Right. But it's tough when you're stepping back. Your momentum's taking you away from where you want the ball to go. And it's um, that's that's not an easy shot. Let's give Cat a little free pass. Wembenyana was on him, and that guy's arms hang down past his kneecaps. So you just never know. Not. You never know what he's going to block. So we've seen Wemby and Chet Holmgren in back-to-back games, and both <laughs> of them um, really impressive. It's going to be the Rookie of the Year d- d- um, debate is going to be really interesting because just from the last two games and what we've seen already this year, but mostly the last two games, um, I I think Wemby has had. You know, going into this two-game series, I would have, I would have said Chet Holmgren has played better and probably deserves yeah. the Rookie of the Year, especially with the way his team has played. You're going to have one team 
at close to the top of the standings, and you're going to have another team at the bottom of the standings. That has to come into account. But I think Wemby is just – he was more impactful. I thought Chen Holmgren had a pretty quiet game by his standards last night. I thought Wemby was, was incredible on some of the plays he makes, and he makes louder plays, like more flashy-type plays um, that probably bring a little more attention to it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you can't blame Wemby also for not having a team around him. I mean, is that his fault that they can't win more than, uh, you know, nine games this year or ten games, whatever it is? Um, it's, it's, it can't be all on him, but I think uh, Wemby was, has been slightly more impressive than Chet even over these last two games. Well, on that vein, let me ask you this question, then. We've seen that the Timberwolves have picked up Rookie of the Year a few times in their history. A lot of it is because their teams are bad, and the rookie can pick pile up big stats. Mm-hmm. I give Wemby the favorite. I think he is the favorite moving forward because San Antonio is so bad. He's going to pile up numbers. I think Chet's touches and his shots. I mean, this Jalen Williams guy is a walking bucket. I mean, I, that guy annoys me for OKC. I just think that Chet's touches and a clutch sh- shots won't be there as the season goes on. Is there any validity to this? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, there are going to be some different opportunities between the two. But I, I think, um, I don't know, Chet for a while was really consistent and maybe not as flashy, but maybe just the more solid player. Um, you know, it's just it's going to be fascinating. And, uh, you know, it's, it'll be fun to watch from afar. I, I don't usually dive too far into it and look at too many things. All I know is that both those guys, um, you know, the numbers they're putting up and the way they're playing, they don't look like rookies. That Those aren't rookie seasons, and especially for guys that big. It's just, it's incredible where this game has come to and where the evolution of the big man um, is going because this these guys can do it all. They're three-level scorers. They can handle the ball like guards. Um, they can pull up. They can, they can, and maybe the most impressive thing to me, Greg, is that Defending without fouling. These guys both mm. average over two and a half blocks a game, and these and they average under three personal fouls per game. Mm-hmm. They're already, as rookies, putting themselves in this elite category. There's only four players in the league that have done that, average over two and a half blocks while committing under three fouls, and, and Wemby and Chet are two of them. I mean, the other one is Brooke Lopez and a blanket on the third one, but it's um, it's pretty impressive to see what these guys have done. At, at such an early age, It's it's really... Um, they're setting a new standard for how guys are coming into this league. I mean, it, it usually takes players in the past years to develop into who they are. These guys are already jumping in with both feet um, as if they're like third- and fourth-year players. Yeah, I agree. All right, let me ask you a Jaden McDaniels question. I'm, I've been a little hard on him recently. I've told my buddies all around if he's got to grow up like now. I mean, that technical fall at the end of the Laker game still still sits with me. But why? Are the NBA officials viewing him differently? Are his fouls that much more obvious than others' fouls? It just seems like he gets a super tight whistle. And so, Alan, I've asked you many times to talk me off the ledge on some of these things of, um, am I seeing it wrong? Is he getting this tighter whistle? Is there something he's doing that has earned a tighter whistle? I mean, break it down for me. Well, I think when you look at everything, it happens a lot to Jaden, first off, because he's always guarding the opponent's best player. So that player always has the ball in their hands, um, and especially in crucial moments. They like to ice. A lot of teams just isolate their best player, and that puts Jaden on an island. And so he's in that situation a lot. So I think he accumulates a lot of the fouls solely because you could hide him or play him on someone else, and, and they do occasionally throughout the game or on a switch he'll get moved on to someone else. But he's in that position a lot. And I, I just come down on it like, you know, I don't think – I don't think they pick on Jaden. I don't think they know of Jaden any more than they know of uh, you know anybody else in the league. They know the superstars. 
but I don't think Jaden gets picked on more than anyone else. I just think he's in that position a lot, and I think he fouls. I think he's an aggressive defender. I think he likes to be physical, um, but you've got to know time and score, right? And when you're in the penalty, you can't you can't afford to be over aggressive. It's there's an, it's an easy whistle for the officials, and I think most of the calls he gets against him are legit, and I don't like him to see it, but I think. Um, I think you just have to at some point say, look, you've got, he's got to adjust. He's got to adjust, and if it means you know, backing up two or three inches, well, then that's what you've got to do. If you, if you get caught putting your hands in, you've got to pull back. You just can't, you can't put yourself in that position, and we're going to see it again tomorrow night with Luka Doncic, who's a, just a maestro in terms of running the Dallas offense. He's on this incredible run, um, and if you play too high up on him, he's going to draw fouls. Uh, if you run a second defender at him, he's going to find the open man. I mean, right over the last three games, Tim McMahon of uh, ESPN had this great stat from ESPN Stats and Info. Over the last three games, Luca is either scoring or assisting on 80 points a game. 80 points oh, a game. That's, that's the crazy. highest three-game average in NBA history, only behind a guy by the name of Wilt Chamberlain who had, a, you know, who knows how many 80-point games. I think he had two 80-point games in a three-game stretch. So um, he's, Wilt is always the outlier, but Luca is putting up amazing numbers. Um, and so you have to find a way to defend without fouling. That being said, I'll still take Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards on the opponent's two best players at the end of a game. Those guys rise to the occasion, um, and we saw that against, let's see, on Brooklyn. Even though Jaden picked up a foul against Bridges, I, that was more bad yeah. luck than anything, I think, for him. Um, I agree. In fact, two, two straight games that Jaden has fouled in the final 10 seconds and sent an opponent to the free throw line because it happened in the San Antonio game as well. But I'll still take I'll still take him ten times out of ten at the end of a game with Ant out there in the wing. Give me Nikhil out there as well. That's 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 a and Rudy. My goodness, this guy gets switched on to perimeter guys. He I know. doesn't care. He'll be all over you. It's it's incredible. He is in his stride for sure. Speaking of Rudy, so um, yeah, lots of good things, lots of breakdown. Thank you for that with Jaden. I, I again, I have to be. But I feel encouraged by what you said and the fact that as he gets older, he'll mature into some of those. The foul against Brooklyn, bad luck. The foul against San Antonio, I thought that was a dumb play. He should have known the guy was in front of him. That's the growing yeah, up I, aspect that I'm kind of... And the Wolves shouldn't have allowed that rebound in the first place. Well, there's that. And how yeah, many of got, those... They've done such a good job on the defensive glass the last couple of weeks. And then to have to give up 14 or 15 offensive rebounds to San Antonio was really tough to see. Yeah, so um, one final question, Alan. We only got about a minute and a half left. Um, I used to have this theory on like the Steve Nashes of the world, and that's going back a little ways, the Jason kids, that you got to turn them into scorers and not let them be passers. What happens when they become passers, I kind of put jo- Jokic into, or <laughs> I call him Jokic, uh, Nikolai Jokic yeah. from Denver. Uh, I, I put him into that category. you got to make him a scorer rather than a passer because the other players then get into the game and get juiced. How do yeah. you view Luka? Do you view, like, I mean, Luka can go for 73. We saw it the other night. Do you want him to be a scorer more than a passer? Do you want him to be a passer? Do you got to pick your moments? How do you how do you like to see the Wolves play defense on him? Yeah, I think with most guys, and I think uh, Doncic and Jokic fit in this category. You want to make them scorers rather than what, facilitators because um, when they're when they're heating everybody else up, uh, you're just it, it, a lot of the times it's pick your poison. But the Wolves have had some success over the years doing this with Jokic and keeping his assist total low getting him scoring that kind of takes everybody else it's it's kind of like the theory that you know when we saw cat go for 62 against charlotte um last week i think that was last week maybe two weeks ago yep, now it was last week yeah. um yeah last week in fact a week ago last night um you got everybody else out of rhythm and that's what you're hoping is going to happen and so for luca yeah you can try to defend him one-on-one and um 
you know, hope for the best, maybe that's a strategy. But I think most times you choose score over a passer because a passer just it, it, it's it's too dead. It's more deadly than just one person going off. If you've got five or six people getting hot, getting open, look at threes. That's what Dallas wants. Um, you'd rather have Luca just beat you, you know, inside at the rim. Although he's really adept at drawing fouls in there too. Yeah. So. It's, um, you know, I think you make him a scorer is the answer. Alan, thank you so much. Good luck on Wednesday as we got to get this one against Dallas, too, or like to, but it's not the end of the world. Not every game is, you know, I appreciated <laughs> that at the beginning. We got to remind everybody. So, hey, yeah, that's that's Alan Horton. Yes, thank you. And that's Alan Horton on today's Todd and Friends podcast brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC. Hope you all have a wonderful Tuesday, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.